Section twenty eight of A Day at a Time by Archibald Alexander. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Section twenty eight The Fatherhood of God. If ye then, being evil, know, how much more your heavenly Father. Luke chapter eleven, verse thirteen. If it were a conceivable thing that we had to part with all the words of Scripture save one, and if we were allowed to choose that one, there are some of us who would elect to retain that great declaration of Jesus, If ye being evil know, how much more, your heavenly Father. For, having that, we should still be rich in knowledge of the love and fatherhood of God. We should still know Christ's dominating conception of God and have his last and highest word regarding him. We should still be able to rise, as Jesus not only warrants but invites us to do, from the little broken ark of true fatherhood on earth to the perfect round in heaven. At the warm reassuring touch of that, how much more your heavenly Father, whole systems of brainy divinity vanish away. The truth of the fatherhood of God, vouched for and lived on by Jesus, kills man's hard and unworthy and hurtful thoughts about God as sunshine kills the creatures that breed and prevail in darkness and ignorance. They can no more live alongside of a realization that Christ's name for God is his true name and really describes his attitude to all the sons of men than the dark and creepy things that live under the stone can remain there when you turn it over and let in the air and the light. But, say some, you must not carry the truth of God's fatherhood too far. What is too far? I ask. I want to carry it, and I believe Christ means us to carry it as far as ever it will stretch, and that is, as far as the east is from the west. Think of the Father's goodwill. It is conceivable that other men may do you a deliberate wrong, but you are entitled to believe that your Father won't. You may not understand what he purposes, but you can be quite sure that he means only your good. Henry Drummond tells how his early days were made miserable by the conception he had of God as of some great staring eye in the heavens watching all he did. But that is a policeman's eye, not a father's. There are many tokens that, even yet, we have not realized what these blessed words of Jesus mean and imply. A mother vainly trying to answer the old, old question why her little one was taken from her will say, Perhaps I was too fond of him. Or, should sudden sorrow come, the explanation suggested by the troubled one himself is, I was too happy. There are plenty of people who are afraid to declare that they feel very well, or are very happy, in case the upper powers should hear and send trouble, apparently out of sheer malice. But thank it. What a bonny creed! Oh, what a dreadful caricature of God! How it must pain the father to hear his children talking so! There is another mark of fatherhood, as we know it on earth. Compassion, pity, the willingness to forgive. There is no forgiveness on earth like a father's or a mother's, none so willing, none that will wait so long, and yet give itself without stint at last. Pity, as the world of business and of ordinary relationship knows it, is at best a transient emotion. It murmurs a few easy words and then forgets. But parent love suffereth long and is kind, hopes against hope, 
and waits and is still hopeful when everyone else has written the offender down irreclaimable. It is such compassion and pity for us sinners, how great soever our sins be, that Jesus would have us come for to God in heaven. But will not men abuse such patience and long-suffering, it is asked? Is it not a risky thing to tell them that God is our Father? It is. But it is the risk that love takes cheerfully, and that only love can take. And when men talk lightly and complacently about the great mercy of God, there is something, I think, which they have forgotten, namely, that at the heart of the divine fatherly forgiveness there lies the shadow of the cross. I do not say that in any conventional sense. I say it because I have seen for myself that at the heart of all true earthly forgiveness of a fatherly sort there lies this same mysterious shadow. Shall not the father forgive his returning prodigal? Yea, verily, and with all his heart. But ah, before that, think how the father has suffered with his son and for his son. The prodigal's shame is the father's shame too, and lies heavy on his heart. And it is out of a chamber where he and that pain have been long companions that the earthly father issues to welcome and receive at last the lad who has sought his face penitent and in his right mind. The welcome is real, the forgiveness is full and free, and yet behind it there is sacrifice. The price of it is suffering, a back of it lies the cross. That is what silences cheap thinking and glib speech about the forgiveness of God. If God's long-suffering be like a father's here, it is, first, long-suffering. The danger, however, is not that we abuse God's grace knowingly and in callous complacency. Far more is it, I think, that we never actually accept and realize and build our lives upon the gracious compassion of the Heavenly Father and His willingness to forgive. Every parent ought to know Coventry Patmore's beautiful lyric, The Toys. In it, a father tells how, when his little son had been disobedient again and again, he struck him and sent him with hard words and unkissed to bed, his mother, who was patient, being dead. And when, later, he went upstairs to see him, he found him asleep, his lashes still wet with tears, and, what touched him most, on a table beside his bed, all his little treasures heaped together to comfort his sad heart, a box of counters and a red-veined stone, a piece of glass abraded by the beach, and six or seven shells, a bottle with bluebells, and two French copper coins, all his little store of precious things. So when that night I prayed to God, I wept and said, Ah, when at last we lie with transit breath, not vexing thee in death, and thou rememberest of what toys we made our joys, how weakly understood thy great commanded good, then, fatherly not less than I, whom thou hast moulded from the clay, thou'lt leave thy wrath and say, I will be sorry for their childishness. One word more about our fathers' silence. Our fathers here on earth had their silences when we were children. We asked him for something we wanted very much and he gave no reply. We went on asking. We expected to get what we had set our hearts on. He heard us hoping and believing that this good thing would come to us, and he held his peace. But we knew that silence, and we trusted it. 
we were quite sure that he would have told us if we were deceiving ourselves that his gift when it comes would at least not be a mere mockery of our hopes and i often think of these words of christ if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father will he give him a stone when i stand by a graveside and speak the words of radiant hope with which we lay our beloved to rest our father hears us speak that hope he has heard hearts in an agony through all generations wish that it might be true that this bleak fact of death is not the end but only the beginning of a better thing but he keeps silence we have no sure proof only the blessed hope of the christian evangel he keeps silence but my brethren can we not trust that silence since it is our father's we have asked this bread in our pain and through our tears we have asked it because it seems to us we need it so and whatever gift his silence hides this at least is certain it is not it cannot be only a stone prayer almighty god who through jesus christ has taught us to call thee our father we thank thee that thou hast chosen a name so dear to us to reveal thy care and love when our way is dark and our burden is heavy and our hearts are perplexed grant us the grace to know that thou who art directing every step of our journey art a god of love and thy true and perfect name is our father in heaven through jesus christ our lord amen end of section 28